Rico. This is Bill Compton from Bonton, Louisiana. I was sitting here enjoying a nice glass of old negative listening to your podcast. And I must say, it is a very finely done show. A while back, I heard you mention us down here, and I do appreciate it. Well, sir, dawn approaches, and I must retire. As uh, you say, live long and prosper. Good day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi, the scary, spooky Halloween edition for October 31st. 2010. It is podcast 303, and today on the show we're going to look at the classic John Carpenter original Halloween film that came out in 1978. This uh, is is just probably my favorite uh, Halloween spooky scary film to watch each year, and I wanted to take you through that movie, so give you some behind the scenes info, and just talk about it in, in general and what um, what I think it's done for you know, modern horror movies and things like that. Uh, going to talk about some Star Trek uh, news and information, lots of things going on. It's been a while since I did a solo cast. The last couple of weeks I've had co-hosts and uh, Rick Pete and, the, and then Peter Brompton Boy last week, and that's been great. And, uh, you know, but it's fun to kind of just uh, sit back and relax and just do a... a an individual solo uh, <laughs> treks in sci-fi again. So I hope you guys will uh, enjoy this. Uh, I hope you probably, by the time you hear this, enjoyed your Halloween, or you may listen to this later today on Halloween, depending on how anxious you are to listen to another edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. So sit back, relax, and uh, here we go. Well, I want to welcome everyone again to the show. Uh, for those listening for, you know, the 303rd or 304th-ish time, uh, thanks for downloading and staying with me all these years. And uh, anyone who may be fairly new to the podcast, hey, uh, welcome to the party. Welcome to this geek fest. <laughs> Today isn't going to be, I guess, exactly a geek fest, although I think uh, these kinds of things and, and Halloween in general, since you get to dress up in costumes and stuff like that, I think is kind of a... A bit of a geeky holiday. I know uh, it was always a, and has always been a, a, one of my favorite holidays. Uh, it, it, gave, it gives you a chance to dress up and pretend to be someone you're not. I'm kind of a little sad this year because I'm not at home giving out candy and dressing up uh, in, in some scary outfit. Uh, well, not usually that scary in the last few years. I usually just put on this Jedi uh, robe that Lynn made for me and, and pull out a, a Force FX lightsaber and swing it around and and go outside and scare some of the kids. They always, um, they always seem to enjoy that, and uh, I especially always enjoy the the little kids that'll come by and and uh, they'll they'll want to see the uh, 
the Force FX lightsaber because it's a lot better than those toy ones usually that they've played with from the store. And it, it, it for the real little ones, especially from about, I guess, age five and six and under, they get a big thrill out of it. I usually let them hold it, and uh, and they always uh, seem to enjoy that. I think I even remember a couple of years back, I, I tried to record some of that for a podcast. I think I did. Uh, maybe for an attic of the mind, I think I did that. I, boy, t- in my memory. <laughs> it's a good thing there are things like, you know, uh, online, and I've got, you know, lists of these things in places so I can look this stuff up. But, uh, but yeah, I won't be able to really be able to give out any candy here in this apartment situation that I'm in. Uh, I'm kind of wondering if, if there will be much activity around where I'm at in Rockford. Uh, it's, it's, it's a bit hard to tell. I don't, there are not really a lot of little kids. There's a couple of them around here, but it's not really a, a traditional kind of neighborhood where there'd be a lot of kids running around trick-or-treating and, you know, scary boogeymen around to scare them. And, and well, like the movie today that I'm going to be looking at for you, you know, maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> it's, uh, so uh, what else has been going on? I, I was away this past week. I, I went to a seminar kind of in this uh, paint-related coding seminar thing that they had uh, at this university in Rolla, Missouri, uh, which is about 80, 70, 80 miles w- about west of St. Louis. So went with uh, another co-worker from uh, Tester, and, and we drove down there on a last Sunday, and we're there all week, got back late on Friday night. So it was kind of a long week, learned some good stuff, got some good information, and it was a nice change of pace, I guess, from the normal day in and day out, uh, regular work and uh, life here in Rockford. But next weekend, I will be going home. So uh, next weekend, you will have, hopefully, haven't had anyone come up and volunteer yet, so here's another shout out for it, but hopefully next weekend, We'll get a guest uh, to do a guest shot on Treks and Sci-Fi. Hopefully I'll be able to wrangle somebody here soon and do that. If not, uh, well, you may have a week without the show, perhaps. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. I was thinking I could start you know, airing reruns. I've got five years plus of, of shows. I, I could even do that. I don't know. What do you guys think of that? Uh, email me and let me know what you think of that idea, treksf at gmail.com. I know some of you have listened to the show for, for a long time, and those would be repeats, but I think some that have just been in, around the last couple of years, well, maybe that would be a good thing. You know, play some of the early shows or something again, perhaps. We'll see. Anyway, what else? Uh, I guess that's about all. I've got some Snapple tea here, and I'm going to take just a, a very short break, and I'm going to come back and tell you some Trek news and a few other things, and uh, then pretty soon we'll be getting into the Halloween movie uh, by John Carpenter. So stay tuned. Just in time for Halloween, the Martians Are Here podcast presents Rural Dead by Brett Hammond. I have nothing against you, English, nor your devices, but you have to understand us. We don't cling to your machines. We don't participate in your ways. We don't ask anything of you. We read the reports in the newspapers, listened to the radio, and even watched the news on the television in the store in town. I raised my lantern, and that's when I saw my first plague victim. There he stood in my pasture, mouth open, moaning, and what must have been a pitchfork wound through his chest. Come take a listen to Rural Dead by Brett Hammond, and Happy Halloween from all of us at the Martians Are Here podcast. 
Okay, I'm back. Uh, one story that I wanted to pass on, there is a, a cool documentary special that's airing this coming week. It's going to be on Wednesday, November 3rd at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on the Bio Channel. I don't know how many people uh, listening get the Bio Channel. I don't think I do. I don't think I even get that back in Michigan. Maybe I do. I don't know. But anyway, the uh, what they're going to show is a two-hour, a new two-hour documentary uh, focusing on Star Trek. It's called The Captains of the Final Frontier. And unlike other uh, specials they've done before, William Shatner did one called The Captains, which kind of more focused on the actors. This is going to be focusing on the actual fictional characters themselves, talking about like biographies of Kirk, you know, Picard, Cisco, Janeway, Archer, and that. So it, it seems pretty, like you know, pretty cool idea. I like that. And uh, who knows? We'll uh, maybe we can talk about that on a future Treks in Sci-Fi. And I wonder how much, how much real detail they can go into in a two-hour special when they're going to be covering what is that five uh, captains uh, that have been on Trek. So we'll see how that works out. On the uh, movie front, on the uh, sequel, I guess you could call it a sequel, in a way, uh, to the J.J. Abrams 2009 Star Trek film, there is a rumor floating around, and, and I want to emphasize this is a rumor, a big big rumor, but um, this is the story. Basically, uh, there's an informant close to the production, in quotes, that uh, that has said and confirmed that he says, Khan... The, the the villain of Khan will not be the in the Star Trek sequel. He won't be like the villain or anything like that or in the movie. But he he has said this known, you know, close to the production source, says that it is a character that Trek fans will know. In other words, it's not a new villain like Nero was in, in the in the last movie. Uh, this is a little bit of a quote here from what he's saying. He says it's definitely a character that will make fans of TOS excited. Think along the lines of Harry Mudd or Trelane or Gary Mitchell or Talosians or the Horda. And he says, it's actually one of those that I named. So again, keep this, you know, treat this entirely as a rumor. But, you know, here we have kind of early, they're just working on the script, an early idea perhaps of um, who the villain might be in the next Star Trek movie. Now, I'm not so sure what I think about this rumor, really. I mean, it's it's a real easy rumor to put out there. I mean, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna put a rumor out there, hey, oh, it's not gonna be Khan because I really don't think it's gonna be Khan. I, I I really think that would be a mistake on a, on a number of levels, and I think these guys are smarter than that to to do the the next movie, the very next one, because this is the movie they really have to. In a, in a way, to me, really have to shine in. They got they got the audience going now, but this movie really needs to be good. This movie needs to be sort of Empire Strikes Back like in a way, not in terms of you know really dark or anything like that. But I just mean in terms of it has to be rich. It has to have a good story, very interesting, good character stuff, uh, and, and and just just it has to be good. It has to be really good. Now, would you go back and use somebody a big villain like Khan? I I don't think so, and I'm not so sure I'd use any main known alien or character from the original series I, I might try to create something new if it was me but uh out of these listed here the only possibilities i really see out of this list i don't think harry mudd's a possibility he was never really a threat for a villain i could see him showing up in a side role in a bar somewhere or something like that uh, 
But the, the only ones I see as possibilities, and I don't think the Horda is really a possibility either. The Horda was, it was an interesting story and an alien, but not a, not a big threat really and not worth a movie, uh, I don't think. Uh, so you have the Telosians, you have Trelane, and you have Gary Mitchell. Now, Gary Mitchell I would toss out also because they never really uh, talked about that. Gary Mitchell was supposed to be one of Kirk's best friends from the Academy days. You know, you never even see him in a quick scene in the other movies. So I, I kind of toss him out too, although I'd like that idea because I always like that storyline uh, that they did in, in the second uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before um, pilot for Trek. So that leaves you with Trelane or the Telosians. Now, both of those I could see as possibilities. Uh, the Telosians I could see as really being the biggest possibility because the neat thing about that is they could show different members of the crew you know, what they kind of long for and wish for, not just maybe the captain, not just Kirk, but they could involve other members of the crew and we could get to learn about them. They could do the same thing to Spock. You know, they can twist the storyline. Obviously, if they use these characters, they don't have to. This is the, you know, parallel alternate universe situation. So they don't have to use these characters the exact same way as they did in the original series. So Trelane's a possibility. You know, he's sort of Q-like and would be kind of fun. But I think he's just too light, uh, and, and, and they, unless they make him a little nastier and darken him up a bit, uh, uh, that's a possibility. But again, out of all those, I think the Telosians would be the biggest uh, possible uh, situation and or, or threat or alien. And again, I'm, I'm kind of maybe, I don't know, about 50-50 on if any of them are even really it. I, I still am hoping and thinking that they're going to come up with something brand new. That's just my thoughts. Uh, who knows? But maybe this inside source is true and accurate. Uh, it's hard to say right now at this point. Uh, one last little bit of uh, Trek uh, information that I wanted to pass on that uh, I have seen here and talked uh, a little bit. You know, it's been a long time since we talked about but Star Trek Online. Uh, I wanted to say a few things. One, it looks like you can buy more things now in the cryptic which is the company that makes the game, uh, their store. You can buy other ships, other bridges, costumes. For anyone who really is into this game deeply right now, I, I tossed a question out on the forum, but uh, I'm not sure anyone's really playing it actively a lot. But can you use all those items even if you've only, you know, you're you're only at a sort of a low level? I, I you know, I didn't play the game a whole lot, but I'm thinking about jumping back in for a month or two and trying it out but i'm wondering you know can you just get any ship or do you have to hit a certain rank or level before you can do that send me an email at treksf at gmail.com and let me know uh or if you're a forum member put it in the post that i made uh in the gaming area about that uh, so i'm curious about that the other uh thing that's being tossed around and, and has been happening with a lot of mmo type games now is there is uh, talk about this this game possibly uh, turning into at least partially you know a limited version of it into free to play in other words you know you can play some limited version of Star Trek online perhaps in the future uh, free no monthly fee and all that which I think that's a fantastic idea I, I think they they need to do that to get give people a chance to play the game a bit anyway and and who knows that maybe that will drive up their you know regular uh, members it's not a bad idea you know it's not to, to put a limited version of your game out to try to drum up business i think they should have done it a long time ago frankly or or well maybe not from the very start but i think it's time they probably should do it uh, it's there's no real harm in it I, I guess unless their servers become overwhelmed and they've got all these free to play people on there and they have to actually spend money and add hardware but 
I think it would be good for them to do that. The D&D Online has done it, uh, Lord of the Rings Online, uh, EverQuest 2, there are all these games, just about everything besides World of Warcraft, which you can get like a 10-day World of Warcraft free trial, uh, which is still my kind of game of choice and MMO. Uh, but uh, I, I think that this would be good, and I, I hope they do it sometime soon. And and it's uh, I, I, like I said, I, I'm getting interested to in getting back into the game. Although WoW has a expansion coming out in a couple of months, so that's kind of well, maybe before that comes out, I can play a little more Trek Online. So uh, those are the Trek stories and news. Uh, I'll come back uh, in a brief uh, after a little brief break, and I think I, I got a couple other stories I wanted to pass on, and then we'll get into the Halloween movie. Oh, during this break, I want to play. Uh, Vartok sent me in a. He sent in some uh, commentary in that, you know, one of Vartok's usual music, uh, just amazing uh, contributions to the show. And this is about John Carpenter and his music. And I think it's specifically, I haven't had a chance to listen to it. I'm going to listen to it right with you guys. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's just specifically about this movie, Halloween, and the music he did for it. So listen to this during the break, and I'll be back in a moment or two. everyone, this is Vartok again, with another music and sci-fi segment. For today's segment, I'm going to talk about the music of John Carpenter. I'm so glad that Rico is taking just a step to the left and covering the Halloween movie, one of the all-time great slasher films, perhaps even the genesis of the slasher film. Michael Myers, you don't have to come to my house on Halloween, go to Rico's house. But did you know that besides being a recognized movie director, John Carpenter is actually an accomplished composer and has composed the music for 17 of his 20 films. And indeed, his theme to Halloween is iconic today for Halloween music. You've been listening to part of the 1974 movie Dark Star, John's first feature film. The science fiction black comedy was co-written with Dan O'Bannon, of later Alien fame. The film only cost $60,000 to make, and both O'Bannon and Carpenter multitasked to make the movie, with John composing the music score as well as writing, producing, and directing, while Dan acted and did the special effects. was born in Carthage, New York in 1948 to Howard Ralph Carpenter, a music professor. Five years later, in 1953, his family moved to Bowling Green, Kentucky. John attended Western Kentucky University, where his dad was the chairman of the music department. 
John finished his musical training when he transferred to USC's School of Cinematic Arts in 1968, and then graduated in 1971. It wasn't long before Hollywood noticed how John could create the films he did on such shoestring budgets. In the background, you've been listening to the main theme to Assault on Precinct 13, released in 1976 for $100,000 with John once again completing many of the roles, including writing, directing, scoring, and even film editing under a pseudonym. This film was released in the U.S. to mixed reviews, but it became a critical success in Europe and is now regarded as the film that launched John's career. recognize this music without even being told what it is. Since Rico was covering Halloween, one of John's most successful movies earning $65 million on a budget of $320,000, I'm going to quickly move on. Next, we come up to The Fog, which was released in 1980, which was about monsters of the killing type hiding in the fog. Made for $1 million, it grossed $21 million, also becoming a commercial success. Next up was one of my favorite Carpenter films, and even Rico's, Escape from New York, starring Kurt Russell as Snake Plissken a convicted bank robber who has to enter the maximum security prison city of Manhattan in order to save the President of the United States, portrayed by Donald Pleasance, who starred in John's Halloween movies. This was also the first of five movies where John Carpenter collaborated with Alan Howarth on the music.
now, the poser for later in this podcast. What 1951 movie did John Carpenter remake in 1982? And what was it about that movie that made it later become a cult film, but was a commercial failure at the time? Stay tuned, and I'll be back with the answer later in this podcast. Well, thanks very much, Vartok. You're doing your our usual amazing, great job on covering the music of John Carpenter, not just for Halloween, and uh, that's great. Uh, you know, I, I think John just does a fantastic job with the music in his movies, and uh, I like that about that, uh, you know, the fact that he directs and usually helps with the writing and the music, and, you know, he's he's one of those movie makers that uh, is is just really his stamp is on the film and in much more than than a lot of other movies that are just directed by other people anyway getting a little ahead of myself i wanted to when <laughs> oh, slurring my words already before we even get to the main event to get to halloween and talk about that uh, fantastic movie uh, i wanted to just say a couple other quick things sci-fi and geeky related um the first is about uh, the Captain America movie. There is a great story and some great pictures in the latest issue of Entertainment Weekly. If you're interested in this uh, movie that's coming out next summer, Captain America, starring Chris Evans, who was in the Fantastic Four movies, I, I think the pictures look great. I, you know, I've not been a huge Captain America fan of uh, him, his character, the, the comics over the years, a little bit. Not as much as other characters like Spider-Man, but uh, I'm really looking forward to the movie. It looks great. Uh, looks like the production is, is really going well, and I love the, what I'm seeing in the pictures. The other thing is Tron Legacy, which comes out in, I think, De- December, the end of, around Christmas-ish. Yeah, I know it's December sometime. Just forget the date exactly. And that is looking more and more fantastic. I, I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, the other one is this movie... The last thing I wanted to say is this movie Skyline. Have you guys been seeing the previews for that on TV and online? That movie looks great. I, I just it came out of kind of nowhere, but the the effects and things in the movie uh, or in the in the uh, previews for the movie look just amazing. It looks sort of sort of Independence Day a little bit uh, like, but I think that's just the little the closest thing I can compare it to. You know, these alien ships show up and send down these, you know, sort of an invasion and all kinds of stuff look like uh, are hap- is happening in the movie. It comes out on November the 12th, which isn't too far away. That'll be uh, less than two weeks, a week from this Friday, I believe. So actually comes out on Lynn's birthday. So anyway, that I'm looking forward to a lot. So that's about it. Uh, now let's get to the main topic of Halloween from 1978, directed by John Carpenter. This, again, is probably my favorite uh, Halloween, spooky, thriller kind of movie to watch. I I really enjoy it a lot for a lot of reasons, which I'll be talking about. I know I've covered this a little bit in the past. I think I did a show one year on Halloween around there. I believe I did a show on just uh, a group of movies, like a group of scary Ish movies. I know I think I looked at Frankenstein last year pretty much, the original Frankenstein movie. But So I've talked about Halloween a little bit before, but this we're going to go into a lot more detail. Got a lot of clips to play for you and that kind of stuff. But to start us off, uh, I will play the, uh, I think this is the original theatrical trailer. It's about two and a half-ish minutes long. Uh, to this movie, to Halloween from 1978. Uh, one one quick little thing, uh, being, you know, this being kind of a thriller and a scary movie, a lot of what you're going to hear in the clips 
I tried to pick out some ones that had dialogue to a degree, but there's a lot of it that's just sort of music and screaming and things. So uh, I hopefully, you know, you can use your imagination. I'm sure that a lot of you listening to this podcast today have seen this movie. So it shouldn't be too hard to imagine what, what's going on during the movie. But here is the trailer, and I'll be back, and we'll get into the main uh, heart of the show about this movie uh, from 1978, Halloween. Halloween night. A small American town. Fifteen years ago. <laughs> seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back. Exploring uncharted territory. Totally charted. Just talk. Sure, sure. The only reason she babysits is to have a So there you have the uh, trailer, uh, the theatrical trailer to Halloween from 1978. Uh, let me give you some of the basics uh, of the of the movie and, and background production and that stuff. Of course, it's directed by John Carpenter. This is wasn't his it wasn't his first movie at all. He also did some other ones before this. Uh, a movie uh, called I think Dark Star came before this. Yeah, it came before this. Another one called Assault on Precinct 13. Uh, a couple other little things. But uh, this, of course, is really what set John Carpenter's career in motion, though. It was done for a, a very small budget, amazingly small budget. This film was done for $320,000. Not millions, but thousands. $320,000. And on Put that even in, in, in a more amazing uh, frame of uh, reference. Half of that money, about 160000 of it, 
what was spent just for the camera equipment. He wanted to use wide, wide uh, angle cameras, uh, Panavision. So 160,000 was spent for the cameras alone. So that left him $160,000 for the production itself to pay the actors, everything else they needed, you know, the the costumes for example. Basically people wore their own clothes. Uh Jamie Lee Curtis's character Lori went to a local like JC Penney for 100 bucks. She bought all the clothing that she wore in the movie. I mean I mean can you, you know that that you know, it isn't just that to, that makes me admire and, and love this movie so much. It's just what they do with that money. You know, anyone could make a low-budget movie, but it's it's the quality that they get on screen for that little bit of money that, that to me, I remember when I first saw this, I guess it's a good, a good enough time to talk about it as any, I saw this movie when I was uh, going to college, uh, and I don't know if I saw it when it first came out or it, or it was a rerun somewhere or where, what was going on, but... Uh, it, it just floored me. I was never a big fan of horror films, really. And, you know, up until, I guess, this point even, they, they weren't really all that common. You didn't have the Saw movies, the Scream movies, the, you know, all, all the other movies that have come since then and the series of those. You know, th- this was in the early days of, of horror films, really. I mean, there had been, you know, films throughout... Uh, film history uh, that were sort of horror oriented, you know, the Draculas, the Frankenstein's, the Thing, which which is an interesting th- uh, uh, comment. There is a a part in the Halloween movie where they're watching the original the the, the Thing movie from the fifties on TV, and of course John Carpenter later remade the Thing with Kurt Russell, which is kind of a cool little thing. You also see, uh, I think, some clips from uh, Forbidden Planet during the movie and so forth, but. Again, to me, you know, the, the artistic, you know, camera work and, and the mood and, and just everything that they do with this movie and the small budget is just incredible. Uh, going back to the credits, Deborah Hill, uh, one of the producers and writers along with John Carpenter, I think I'll have to look it up uh, when I, after I play a clip. I'm pretty sure at this point in time, I don't know if Deborah Hill and John Carpenter were married or living together or what it was. I know they had a relationship but I guess that's not really super important. Music, of course, by John Carpenter. Uh, cinematography is by Dean Cundley. Uh, it, again, it made uh, a lot of money. <laughs> the the largest uh, amount of gross revenue that an independent film ever made up until this point. It made about sixty million, about forty seven, forty eight million dollars in the U.S. and the rest of it overseas. So about $60 million gross for a $320,000 movie. You know, just let that kind of sink in a little bit. It's just, and again, it's not, it, it did great. It did fantastic. It set John Carpenter's career into motion, really, and gave him the ability to make a lot of other movies throughout the years. Uh, but again, it, it's, it's well-deserved. This is just a fantastic movie to me. It's tight. It's clean. It's not... Um, overly, uh, you know, there's not a lot of exposition. It's just set in this little small Midwestern town on Halloween night. Uh, A couple other things related to that. It actually was not filmed in in anywhere in the Midwest. This is supposed to take place in a little town called Haddonfield, Illinois, not too far from where I'm at right now. Uh, But they decided that, or because of the budgetary situation, a lot of other things, that they shot the movie actually in Southern California, uh, not uh, you know pretty much you know in in the mecca of the of the movie industry. So they tried uh, and have had to make you know find a little uh, 
subdivision and houses and things that that looked a little midwestern in style and of course all the plants and the trees and the leaves falling to make it like the midwest they they had to buy a bunch of like plastic leaves and paint them different colors to show that it was fall and it was halloween uh, you know, they might have had a much easier time of if they didn't set it at that time of the year. But, of course, it's called Halloween. It actually wasn't originally called even Halloween. It was going to be called The Babysitter Murders is what it was going to be called because a lot of what happens in this movie, Lori, the main character, uh, really uh, is babysitting uh, Tommy, a little boy, and she does, you know, regular babysitting, and these teenagers do that in the movie. So that's why that movie or that title was originally conceived uh, of course, later that was changed to Halloween. They also changed the idea of the movie and, and the structure of it a little bit. It was originally going to be over a period of a few days. The movie was going to take place over about five days uh, of, you know, movie time, we'll call it. But they decided, no, it was much tighter and better to keep it just all on Halloween during the day uh, a little bit. And then into the evening on Halloween, it made it a much more intense experience. And I, uh, again, Perfect solution, perfect uh, original idea. Uh, well, maybe not an original idea, but a great idea to do that in that way. And I think the movie is much more intense and, and real because of that. the The premise of this movie, the the point uh, about it is, is that you know Halloween is supposed to be this. It goes back to these Celtic legends uh, of Samhain. Is that how you say that? I can never say that word right. But it was, you know, it's a night where where the the sort of the souls and and the undead kind of can roam free and all that. And and the 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 crux, I guess, basic idea of this is that this little boy, Michael Myers, has has just been sort of either invaded or he was born this way. But but he is. He is just like completely evil. And I'm just going to read a little quote that I found online. You know, most of the writing and the creative uh, impetus of this movie was for Carp- by uh, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. But they some, had some other people that helped them out a little bit. Uh, but this is, here's a, here's a good thing. The idea was that you couldn't kill evil. That was how we came about the story. We went back to the old idea of Sam Hain that, that uh, Halloween was the night where all the souls are let out to wreak havoc on the living and then came up with a story about the most evil kid who ever lived and when John came up with this fable of a town with a dark secret of someone who had once lived there that's what made the movie and Halloween work. Uh, it starts out with uh, a, a very young Michael Myers, a six-year-old Michael Myers and on Halloween night in, uh, I think it's supposed to be in the 60s, yeah, because it's 15 years later for most of this movie, but yeah, it's 1963. Uh, Michael Myers, the little six-year-old Michael Myers, murders his 15-year-old sister. You know, how about that for a movie? You know, you're going into studios and trying to pitch a movie and say, yeah, I got this idea about this movie, and it starts out with this six-year-old kid that knifes and kills his sister. Now, one of the great things about this movie to me is how really little they, they show it many times during the film. They, they There's a lot that's just set up through suspense, very Alfred Hitchcock-like, and as opposed to some movies now where they show you everything. They might as well be making like a documentary about some of the, you know, and I've seen some recent, you know, some movies that um, that I thought were pretty good, you know, in the horror vein. But this movie, though, isn't really, there isn't a lot of blood. You see a little bit on a knife. You see a little bit on Lori at one point in the movie when she gets her shoulder cut a little bit. 
but you know there's very little blood in the, in this movie at all so uh let's get into some of the clips though and i'll take a little break from just uh telling you about it the first clip that i've got i believe is in the early part of the movie when the young very young six-year-old michael myers is found as he's walking out of his home by his parents uh with a knife in his hand still so listen to this Michael? Yeah, that's very good. Uh, I love that a lot. Uh, you know, it just it sets the mood. You know, you, you don't you don't expect because the first time you see that, you see his perspective through his mask, and then you, and then you see this very little innocent little boy. The mask gets pulled off him by his, his dad, and he's holding this knife, and he looks just totally like zoned out. So it's uh, it's pretty disturbing, and and it's it's just uh, it's just just terrible i guess when you think about it so uh the next clip uh and we'll get in you know continue with our discussion of the movie there this one i think involves uh dr loomis dr sam sam loomis played by the amazing and wonderful donald pleasance in this movie donald pleasance uh originally it was a little iffy that, that he was going to do the movie or not uh john carpenter had originally gone to uh christopher lee and peter cushing two very of course well-known horror-type uh, actors, done Dracula movies and, and a lot of other horror things. But uh, they both turned it down. They both It wasn't, of course, going to pay a lot. Uh, but I'm not really sure if that's the only reason. You know, John Carpenter was a pretty young, pretty unknown director, writer, and everything on, on this movie, so they turned it down. I think Christopher Lee later on went on in various interviews and say, you know, he was very... Uh, Later, he decided after he'd seen the movie and the years went by, he regretted his choice and his decision. He said he should have done Halloween. But Donald Pleasance uh, decided to do it uh, mainly because I think it was somebody that he knew, a relative, had really liked uh, one of John Carpenter's other movies before this, Assault on Precinct 13. So Donald Pleasance decided to do it. He was only paid $20,000. So there's of that 160, remember, there's 20,000 that left 140 for all the other stuff. But 20,000 to Donald Pleasance, of course, he's the biggest name in this movie. He's the only real, uh, the only actor that had any kind of, uh, you know, real long-term experience and reputation. Everyone else is very young that they use in the movie. They even use some people that are kind of, that were on set. And I'll talk about that in a few uh, for our various parts. But uh so Donald Pleasance decided to do it. Uh, he was only uh, his involvement uh, in the movie only. In, he was only there for five days. He only needed to do five days of shooting, so got paid twenty thousand for that, which sounds good to uh, people like us, I suppose. For for the most of us, it sounds like a good amount of money. But you know, twenty thousand when you think about it, you know, there are actors on TV they get paid three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand, even up to a million. I think some. Uh, actors on TV for a single episode of which takes them about a week or so to film so put it in perspective uh, but he does a great job in this movie he's very good he's very believable he is this doctor that uh, studied Michael tried to help him for approximately 15 years 
from the time that uh, he killed his sister, Michael, as a little boy. They locked him up, uh, tried to help him, uh, although Donald Pleasance realizes at a certain point in, in trying to help Michael that there's just nothing he can do for him. This kid has just got this evil inside of him, and there's no, um, there's no helping him. So here is a clip. I believe this is a clip that uh, talks. he's talking to one of his colleagues, and Michael has escaped from the, the hospital that he's been uh, locked up at for the last 15 years. So listen to this. I'm not responsible, Sam. Oh, no. I told him how dangerous you he was. You couldn't have. Two roadblocks and an all-points bulletin wouldn't stop a five-year-old. Well, he was your patient, Doctor. If precautions weren't strong enough, you should have told somebody. I told everybody! Nobody listened. There's nothing else I can do. You can get back in there and get back on that telephone, tell him exactly who walked out of here last night, and tell him exactly where he's going. Probably going. I'm wasting my time. Sam Haddonfield is 150 miles away from here. Now, now for God's sakes, he can't drive a car. He was doing very well last night. Maybe someone around here gave him lessons. Yeah, so there you get to hear from uh, from Donald Pleasant's character, Dr. Loomis. The uh, casting of Jamie Lee Curtis is, is a bit interesting. Uh, she, of course, is the main character, Laurie Stroud, uh, who is kind of the heroine of the film. She plays a, bar- a babysitter and lives in the same neighborhood where Michael uh, uh, grew up, or, well, at least until he was six years old. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is, uh, at the time, this is basically her first big acting job here in this movie, and of course, she had a famous uh, acting family, Tony Curtis and Janet Lee. Janet Lee, of course, starred in the movie Psycho, which is a famous, of course, Alfred Hitchcock horror film. And so the casting of Jamie Lee Curtis is kind of a neat little thing in this uh, movie. But uh, John Carpenter really originally did not want Jamie Lee Curtis. His his first pick was Anne Lockhart. Anne Lockhart, of course, was in the original Battlestar Galactica and a bunch of other series over the years. And uh, that was uh, who he wanted at first. They're roughly about the same age, have a similar look, I think. Uh, but Anne Lockhart was kind of busy with television at the time. So they decided they, they needed to go with someone else, and Jamie Lee was was their next pick and next choice. And I think she does a great job here. Uh, there's a couple of scenes in this movie where she is uh, really uh, very convincing and, and terrified, and, and you can just see it. The way she's not, I mean, there's she screams a few times in this movie. You'll, you'll hear that, and I think some of the clips coming up. But it, it's more that she's so just dumbstruck with horror and and what's going on around her that she just can't even speak move she's just uh really good really good is all i can say and she was very i guess at first very afraid of uh how her performance was going in the movie when she was doing it and she she even after the first couple of days she was like oh i'm 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 doing crap work and it's not going well but i and i guess john carpenter called her up on the phone and she was worried she was going to be you know dropped and recast and they were going to kick her off the movie she felt she was doing such a poor job but all it was was john carpenter uh calling her up to tell tell her that she was doing great and, and he loved everything they were you know the work they were getting and uh, the film so uh she she felt pretty good about it at that point uh you know john carpenter has a bit of a a reputation as being very good to work with with uh, his actors he, he's very personable and i've heard this in different interviews and in, in things i've read online and in books over the years that i, I remember i think uh, in escape from new york he, he formed a very good relationship with um 
with who who did I say earlier? Kurt Russell, yes. So so he's he's got a very good you know way of working with the actors, and I think it shows a lot. I think it works well, and I think you get to see that on screen. And the, these characters or these actors really become these characters. And uh, there's uh, some kind of fun behind the scenes uh, still pictures on the Halloween DVD I was looking through earlier. And you can see again these these guys. This is a shoestring budget, but they're having a good time. You know, they're they're all pitching in. They're 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 more of a family, and and the way they're they're working together so hard to get this done is 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 really uh, I think it comes through on screen. So I just wanted to um, mention some of that. Uh, uh, but this next clip I'm going to play is a scene where Laurie and her friend Annie are coming up on. Uh, her Annie's father, his sheriff uh, Lee Brackett, who is a famous author, they they named a lot of the characters in this movie after different things. That uh, I'll talk about some of them, but it's uh, it's it's pretty pretty cool actually. Uh, Deborah Hill's hometown, I think it's her hometown, was Haydenfield, but in New Jersey. So the name of the town that they use for this movie is also Haydenfield. And and John Carpenter, he, he he's he's also got a little reputation for doing that kind of stuff too. They don't just make up names completely. A lot of the names in these uh, in his movies for his characters and locations all tend to have some some meaning. Uh, when uh, Michael Myers, I believe, was was somebody that helped John out in in releasing some movies overseas ones, stuff like that. So uh, anyway, here is a clip with Annie and Laura. You you hear mostly Annie and I think her sheriff, but the important part of this clip is one of the local hardware stores has been broken into by uh, actually Michael Myers, but you don't realize, or they don't realize that. We know that. And, uh, well, here's a clip and you listen. Hi, Annie. Laurie. Hi, Dad. What happened? What? What happened? Oh, uh, somebody broke into the hardware store. Probably kids. You blame everything on kids. Well, now, all they took was some Halloween mask, uh, rope, and a couple of knives. Well, who do you think it was? It's hard growing up with a cynical father. Aren't you going to be late? Huh? I said, aren't you going to be late? He shouts, too. Bye, girls. Bye, Dad. Bye. Sheriff. Pardon me, I'm uh, Loomis, Dr. Sam Loomis. Uh, Lee Bracken. I'd like to have a word with you if I could. Well, maybe a few minutes. It's, I've got to take just sir. important. Ten minutes. I'll be here. Yeah, that was actress Nancy Keys as Annie there, and, and she's kind of a goofball a little bit, and uh, ends up well. She gets killed pretty, pretty quick when Michael pops into town. But anyway. Um, so, uh, but the thing there that I wanted to say is, is, again, this is a fairly low budget production, and so what they what they ended up using, and this has been mentioned, I think, when I've talked about this movie maybe before, a lot of people have heard this one before, the the mask for Michael Myers. He wears this mask. It's kind of white and very stark. He wears kind of a dark jumpsuit for most of the movie, and you just see this weird white mask on him. And the the mask is a William Shatner mask that they picked up uh, pretty cheaply and just kind of spray painted it white. 
teased out the hair a little bit on it, made it look a little weird, kind of cut the eyes out a little differently. And you can sort of see it in the mask. I don't think it's super identifiable as being a William Shatner mask. I think it, I can see it a little bit in the nose and that, uh, but you don't get a lot of really long shots uh, where you get a chance to really study it even in the movie. But, you know, they're usually in distant shots or it's kind of dark and that. But so they use this cheap William Shatner mask. And I guess the story is that William Shatner didn't realize this for a very long time. Some somebody told him or asked him about it one time somewhere along the way, an interview or a convention. And he said, I, you know, he had no idea. But I guess he, he, he said, you know, hey, that's that's kind of cool. He was he was OK with them using a a mask of him for uh, for this nasty, evil Michael Myers character. And so the uh, clip there that. You know, Michael had broken into the store, puts on the mask, and grabs a couple of knives. And so that's the mask he uses in in this movie and in many sequels to come. You know, this movie has, I don't know what it is, six or seven different sequels. Most of them, a few of them involving John Carpenter, but uh, most of them not. And most of them kind of not really all that great. But I'll I'll talk about that more towards the end of this. Uh, But uh, time for another clip, I think. And do I need to do an intro for this? I don't think so. Yeah, this is another with Dr. Loomis, so listen to this. Seems to me you're just plain scared. Yes. Yeah, I I am. uh, I met him 15 years ago. I I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. What do we do? He's been here once tonight. I think he'll come back. I'm going to wait for him. I still think I should notify the radio and television. No. If you do that, they'll see him on every street corner. They'll look for him in every house. Just tell your men to keep their mouths shut and their eyes open. I'll check back in an hour. Yeah, so you get to learn a little bit more about what Dr. Loomis thinks of um, of Michael and uh, the situation, uh, and how he, uh, you know, he's just pure evil and all, and he just can't, couldn't help him. I wanted to kind of back up a little bit. Uh, you know, I said it was a, a William Shatner mask. I should have said it a little more. Uh, you know, it's not really a William Shatner mask; it's a Captain Kirk mask. But I mean, the face is William Shatner. So, just wanted to clear that up because you know there were some costumes. Uh, that are, have been available over the years of playing, you know, Spock uh, or having a costume with Spock and a mask and a Kirk Kirk mask and a, and a uniform and all. So go back and clear that. Uh, I also wanted to back up a little bit, you know, besides the limited budget, it was also filmed pretty quickly, this movie. Uh, it only took uh, 21 days of filming to, to do the whole thing. And it was, again, mostly in Southern California, South Pasadena, uh, near, they also used some uh, cemetery for some of it. Uh, there was an abandoned house owned by a church. That was uh, what they used for the Myers house, actually. And a couple other homes in near Orange Grove Avenue, near Sunset. And they, a couple other things. They were having trouble with pumpkins. 
really had trouble finding pumpkins for this movie. I love the way it opens the movie. You, you know, it just sort of slowly zooms in on that lit pumpkin. Very, very minimal, very, very uh, eerie, and, and again, I think very effective. Not all this, you know, crazy jumping around. And, and I, I guarantee you, if you've never seen this movie, you definitely want to watch it. If you have seen it before, you know, watch it again, and and it still just completely holds up. Uh, but we've still got some ways to go to, and some other clips to play for you, including this one about the boogeyman. What about the jack-o'-lantern? After the movie. What about the rest of my comic books? After the jack-o'-lantern. What about the boogeyman? There's no such thing. Richie said he was coming after me tonight. You believe everything Richie tells you? No. Tommy, Halloween night, it's when people play tricks on each other. It's all make-believe. I think Richie was just trying to scare you. I saw the boogeyman. I saw him outside. There was nobody outside. There was. What did he look like? The boogeyman. We're not getting anywhere. All right. The boogeyman can only come out on Halloween night, right? Right. While I'm here tonight, I'm not about to let anything happen to you. Promise? Promise. Can we make the jack-o'-lantern now? Let's go. Yeah, that was between Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, also the little boy she's uh, babysitting for, Tommy, who manages to also survive what goes on here. And He's uh, grown up. Uh, I watched, actually, last night one of the sequels. I thought I would try to watch one of the sequels. I haven't seen a lot of them. I've seen the second one, which is kind of a direct follow-up. Halloween 2 is kind of a direct follow-up to this uh, with uh, much of the same cast and so forth. Jamie Lee Curtis and John Carpenter was involved in that, too, I believe. Uh, but I watched one called The Curse of Michael Myers last night, which had Paul Rudd, that you know, who does mostly comedies. He plays a grown-up Tommy who uh, Laurie... Jamie Lee Curtis's character is babysitting in this movie. He plays Tommy grown up, and when Michael Myers comes back to town, it wasn't too bad of a movie. It wasn't. It was okay. It wasn't great. It was all right. But uh, that was kind of interesting to watch. The I think it was Halloween Six or something. The Curse of Michael Myers, something like that. Last night I watched that. Kind of get in the mood for doing this and for Halloween in general. Uh, what else did I want to pass on before I play another clip? Uh, talked about a lot of the production and the direction. Um, I guess that's about it. Oh, the um, the the guy that's playing Michael Myers in this movie, the the you know in the the jumpsuit and the mask, is just uh, he's played by a, a guy named Nick Castle. Nick Castle uh, was somebody a friend of John Carpenter's when they were at the U of USC. Uh, going to film school, and Nick Castle was just, he, he was kind of there hanging out and kind of helping out on the production a little bit, and then uh, John Carpenter decided to use him to pl to play Michael Myers in, in the mask. They called him The Shape um, in the movie, uh, and uh, so that was kind of neat, I thought. Not, to, you know, it's not like they got, you know, needed a big actor, but, it, but he does a good job and uh, very... Uh, just he has these sort of robotic moves in the movie, robotic movements, not moves, but robotic movements. He moves kind of stiffly and slowly and, you know, like all good evil people and evil things in movies need to do so the, the good guys can manage to escape. You know, I don't know what it is about those people. Uh, one thing, and I'm going to throw it here because it's just 
popped into my head. Uh, there's this new series on AMC starting tonight. Sorry for the little digression for a second, but I didn't want I, I did want to say this earlier, but I kind of forgot. Uh, this new zombie uh, series that premieres tonight on Halloween night on AMC, The Walking Dead. I think that's what it's called. Not Waking Dead, Walking Dead. Uh, but uh, it's based on a comic book series. Everyone should give it a look. It looks pretty cool, and I'm not a big zombie fan, but I thought I would toss that out here. I was going to say it earlier, sorry, in the news and kind of other things, but it slipped my mind, And but for some reason it popped back in right now. So sorry for the you know little slight detour here when well, talking about Halloween. So next clip I think we'll get to... Uh, we will play, yeah, I think we're up to when he's, uh, Michael is now starting to kill people. <laughs> he's he's on his little killing spree. He went back to his hometown. Um, one thing I wanted to note when I was looking over this movie again and gathering clips and talking and, and that and so forth, it's only about an hour and a half long. Michael and, and his, you know, back in town and killing people doesn't happen until a good hour into the movie. And again, it's 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 good that way. You start with him as being a little boy. You see that pretty quickly. And then they set up the situation. He comes back to town. He's kind of lurking around. You learn about the other characters. And then he starts to strike. And it's, and then that's when you uh, get to see you know what he can do and how nasty he is. Uh, the first one, I think, to go, or one of the first ones, is another friend of Lori's and this clip I believe is she's talking to her friend over the phone and she hears what's going on and it's done very well a little hard to understand for just audio but listen to this are you weird well I'm gonna call Lori I want to know where Paul and Annie are this is going nowhere finally Hello? Uh, 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 Hello? All right, Annie. First I get your famous chewing, now I get your famous squealing. Annie, are you all right? Are you fooling around again? I'll kill you if this is a joke. Annie? Annie? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, at first uh, her friend is is off with her boyfriend and, and Lori thinks they're just kind of, you know, getting it on. Oh, get, did I say that? <laughs> And anyway, the, the but as as the call goes on, you know, it's like, you know, she's starting to like choke and everything. And Michael's Michael's wrapping uh, the phone cord around her, killing her, which isn't really his signature move. He likes knives. He likes to stab people. He likes to lift people up and, 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 and you know, put them on something sharp or push them into a wall or whatever. So. But here he's choking this girl with his telephone uh, cord from behind. And I, I guess the fact that it's um, over the phone, it was more interesting than just a quick stab for her. Uh, but uh, And so Lori starts to see what's going on and suspect what's happening. And, of course, she figures it out. 
and she sends off the little kids. I think that clip is, I haven't played that one yet. Yeah, that's a couple away. But this next one, like I said earlier, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, I think, does a great job, maybe inherited some of this from her mother, Janet Lee. <laughs> her ability to, to scream at only certain times and, the, and then just have this very panicked uh, sound. And this next clip isn't much dialogue. You're going to hear a lot of John Carpenter's music and some of Lori being chased when she finally uh, comes in contact and, and, you know, Michael finds her and sees her and he's chasing after her. So listen to this. just uh, really really well done really love that and, and and just that i love that piano stuff i guess it's piano where it goes dun 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 it, it's it's just so perfect you don't need a lot but but it's it's just some people might think it just seems kind of corny and stuff but there are so many cues there's so many things when you watch this movie that you'll notice that that work themselves into other movies that have come since then uh, come since this one uh, in other horror movies and, and, and other other films in general, just a lot of a lot of neat stuff, and and it just uh, again John Carpenter uh, real really knows his stuff, uh, and, and it's it's just such a tight, well done movie. It's I'm very impressed always. Every time I watch it, I'm very impressed by this. Um, and I know there's there's a scene especially where where Michael just kind of fades in he's kind of behind Laurie, and you get you just see that a little bit of the mask and they actually just used a simple light dimmer switch to to do that they turned up the light in the room just a tiny bit and since he was mostly in dark clothes and he, he just had this light colored mask you just start to see this shadow of the mask and, and, and that pop up from the light again very very easy techniques not well not easy maybe easy but not fancy. You don't need all kinds of fancy gear and equipment and, and money to make a good movie. And, and I wish we got to see more of these kinds of things than, you know, $150 million blockbusters. I love those too. Don't get me wrong. But just think if they gave, you know, some, some really hungry artists out there, some hungry filmmakers, you know, they had 50 million bucks and they gave each 50 of them a million dollars each. I think out of all those people, we'd get some pretty great stuff. And I think it also would show you who can do something with a little 
rather than needing a lot to make a, to make a movie and you know just key in if you want to decide who you're going to sign up for your studio and get them working on movies i i if i handed a guy a million bucks and he could make a fantastic movie very imaginative and, and just new ways to do things that that he didn't have to spend a lot of money on and, and just I don't know. I wish we got more of that. I know they do that a little bit. They have short films and, and, and different things, at the festivals around. Actually, somebody that I work with now, son is going to, to school for it a little bit. And somebody on the forum, too, Rick Moyer's son. So they, I know they have that, but it, I would like it to be just a little notch up from some of those things because that stuff just doesn't get seen a lot. You know, YouTube is great these days. We get to see stuff on there. But, but anyway, you know, if a big studio came out with, uh, you know, something in the major theaters and said, hey, new director this. I guess 20, 30 years ago, I, 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 I think we saw more of that than we do these days. So that's just my little commentary. <laughs> We're kind of winding down uh, the clips and our look at this. The next one I think that I've got for you, the next clip is when Lori has, uh, she thinks she's gotten rid of the boogeyman, Michael, uh, she, she stabbed him and he's down on the ground and she then goes over to this little cupboard, this closet that a couple of the little kids that she's watching are, are in and she tells them to run, call the police. And, uh, so that's this next clip. Tommy, unlock the door. Just come here. Now just listen to me. When you go down the stairs and out the front door. I want you to go down the street to the Mackenzie's house. I want you to tell them to call the police and tell them to send them over here. Oh, now, do yeah. you understand me? Yes. Go do as I say. Yeah, so they, they take off, the kids run away, and that's what kind of keys Donald Pleasant's uh, character, Loomis. Uh, he sees them running away, and he comes into the house, and uh, he's there to kind of help. It basically, in a way, saves the day. The the one a couple parts about this movie that do still kind of bug me just a tiny bit, and, and, I, and I guess this is after you see a lot of horror movies, too. You, you start to learn this soon. You know, Lori gets, she gets a hold of the knife. She, she stabbed Michael first with, a, with like, a little hanger in, in the eye, and, the, and then with the knife, uh, and then he's down on the ground, he's laying there kind of, and she just kind of goes over to the doorway of the room and is sitting there with her back towards him. Not only is she not watching him to see if she's really, you know, a stab wound, just a stab wound. You really think you got this nasty guy down with just one quick stab wound? <laughs> I don't. I would worry about that. But she she not only moves away from him, doesn't do anything more, but she also turns her back to him. And then there's this scene where he sits up and he kind of turns his head and looks over at her. I know when I first saw that, I kind of jumped. You know, it's like, oh, God, he's still alive. But now I guess maybe I've become a little more jaded and, and a little more used to that kind of thing where the bad guy's never down with the first, you know, gunshot or the first stab wound or poke to the eye or anything like that. You got to gotta when you get him down, get him down again, you know, <laughs> and then do some more. And then, and then even then, even if you think he's down then get out of there, you know, run away. But 
anyway, the next clip is is at the very end of the movie when Donald Pleasance jumps in and starts uh, shooting Michael with his gun, pretty much unloads into him. So listen to this. Okay, so that that wraps up Halloween. Uh, again, uh, I, there's just a lot of stuff. You can find a lot of good information online about the movie. Uh, I wanted to mention, though, a little bit about some of, uh, even though I mostly was planning on talking about the movie itself, the first one, I'll go down the list of the whole franchise, Halloween franchise. Uh, we have Halloween 1978 came out in October 25th, 1978. I've already talked about it, obviously, quite a bit. Uh, Made for a very small budget, made about sixty million worldwide or so. Halloween two came out in nineteen eighty one on uh, just about on Halloween October thirtieth. Only made about twenty five million. Then you had Halloween three season of the witch from nineteen eighty two, also around came out on the twenty second of October. That one did not make very much money, fourteen million. Then you have Halloween four, the return of Michael Myers uh, from nineteen eighty eight. Uh, then Halloween 5, uh, The Revenge of Michael Myers, 1989. These movies are still not making very much money. They're only making, uh, in those two were only made for like $5 million, uh, only cost and made about anywhere. One made $17 million, one made $11 million. Then you had the one I was talking about earlier that I watched last night, Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. Uh, that one was from 1995. Paul Rudd is in it. Uh, that one was uh, only made 15 million. The the one of the sequels that's probably a, a good one to watch uh, is Halloween H2O. This is from 1998. This is the one with Jamie Lee Curtis later, 20 years later, from 1998. This one made 73 million. Only cost 17 million to make. Then they've had Halloween Resurrection. They had Halloween, uh, sort of a whole remake, I believe. I'm not, I don't know if I've seen that one from 2007. And then Halloween 2, kind of a sequel to that. So there you go with the whole, you know, franchise. And John Carpenter's only been involved in some of those. I believe mainly Halloween, Halloween 2, and the Halloween H2O movie also he was involved in. And I hope I've got that all correct. Lots of information and more online to, to, uh, 
give you everything you want to know about Halloween and John Carpenter. So I hope you've enjoyed this look at it. It's it's just a great movie, great movie for this time of the year. And again, I'm so impressed with uh, the level and the professionalism and, and just the quality of the movie for such a small budget and, and such fairly inexperienced uh, actors and production people and everything. So uh, now we've got a clip from our friend Meds in the UK and his comments about Halloween and and an experience, I believe, uh, the, about when he watched this movie. So listen to this, and I'll be right back. Hi, Rico. This is Meds from Waffle On Podcast, and otherwise known as Hawkeye Meds and our brilliant tracks in sci-fi forum. Can't wait to hear your podcast on the brilliant Halloween. It's one of my all-time favorite horror films. I'm a massive John Carpenter fan, and I especially like the theme music in this film. I hope you do get to play it. Now, I'm not going to actually talk about uh, the film. I want to talk to you about an experience I had with watching it, in fact, watching it for the very first time. I was around about 12 years old. This must have been around about 1984-85. And uh, my parents were heavily involved in the scouting group. They was in charge of the Cubs. And uh, because they was in charge, I got to go on all the camping holidays. And uh, as I was older, of course, I got to stay up and hang out with the adults or the other scouts that sometimes turned up on these trips. Uh, one trip we went to a place called Earlswood, uh, which is uh, actually quite uh, close to where I live now. And it's a beautiful area with a huge lake, a derelict railway line uh, in a forest. Uh, the forest is actually grown over the railway line now. And it's, it's, it's a good couple of miles uh, in length, this forest. It's a, it's a fabulous place. But of course at night, it's quite eerie. And uh, we stayed in a log cabin. It's quite a large log cabin. Uh, it did have that Evil Dead feel to it. Now, when all the cubs had gone to bed, and actually the adults had as well, uh, myself and a couple of the other older lads stayed up and uh, we had a fire and then we went back to the log cabin and uh, put on the TV. I remember vividly that this TV was a very small, portable, black and white thing. It was, uh, it was pretty old. And we had it on in the kitchen of this log cabin. And it was Halloween that was being shown. This was the late night film. So uh, there's a 12-year-old me sitting in this log cabin uh, watching a black and white television with the wind and rain howling outside. Um, uh, the reason why we went in was because it started to rain. The fire had obviously gone out. And the branches were hitting the side of the log cabin. There was the sound of the animals from the forest mooching about, the owl, you know, hooting. Um, of course, you know, when you're in that kind of environment, your senses are a bit more alert. Uh, you do get a lot, you know, a lot scared quicker. And uh, and we sat and watched this film. It's the first time I ever saw it, and I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. I was petrified. I was scared. We was looking out the windows onto the balcony of this log cabin, uh, hoping that we wouldn't see anybody walking around with a with a William Shatner mask. It would have been very scary. Um, but so every time I watch Halloween now, of course, I'm taken back to uh, to that time in Earlswood Forest in the log cabin watching the film Halloween for the first time. Um, I can't wait to hear this podcast, Rico. Uh, I know you're going to do the film absolute justice. And uh, that's my little tale for you. Uh, take care, mate, and I will speak to you all very soon. Well, thanks very much, Meds. Uh, really good to hear from you, and uh, that was great to, to hear what you had to say about uh, Halloween. And I, I love the way you set the whole thing up. You were in the tent and and just you know or or was it a t yeah it was and and just watching halloween on a little black and white tv as a little boy that must have been scary stuff uh thanks so much for sending in that clip
And next up, we're going to hear from Rick Moyer and some thoughts on Halloween and a new song, I believe. So take it away, Mr. Moyer. Hey, Rico, this is Rick Moyer. That's Moyer777 from the forums and the host of the Taking With You podcast, inspired by the grandfather of the podcasters here around you, Rico. You're such a great guy. Hey, I just wanted to make a quick comment on Halloween. Uh, you're covering the movie, and um, I have an interesting story about that that movie. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I was obviously younger. When I was probably in my oh gosh, I don't I I don't remember how old I was, but I was young. Uh, not like super young, but young enough to to remember being freaked out by it. And I was down at my uncle's house. We lived about eight miles out the East Hoquiam Road, and it was dark out there. And they had just gotten HBO. And HBO was showing Halloween. And it was one of those deals where it used to be where TV was not in stereo. You just got it through the cable and it was mono and they didn't have all that fancy stuff. But they were simulcasting it on the local um, radio station, the FM radio station in stereo. So get this. I, I was stupid. I was all alone. It was way out in the boonies scary place you know and i turned off all the lights and i turned on hbo and i watched halloween and i have to tell you by halfway through the movie every light on was on in the house every door was locked and i was looking over my shoulder i did not sleep hardly at all that night after watching that movie it was so darn scary i'd never seen a horror film before and this one of course did itself justice by scaring the crap right out of me. So anyway, that was my experience with watching for the very first time all by myself out in the middle of the boonies with all the lights off until later, um, Halloween. And that, boy, after that, you know, I always watched to make sure that my doors were locked and everything. I loved Halloween growing up as a kid. I used to dress up. I, I, this is one of the reasons I like monsters and sci-fi and fantasy and all that kind of stuff is because it was always fun to uh, do costumes with makeup and you know I had one of those cool kits where you could uh, make fake noses and scars and things like that and we just had a great time we always liked to entertain the the neighborhood when people would come trick-or-treating and we lived out in the country so when we trick-or-treated we got lots of candy and it was really good stuff I mean they give you full-size candy bars and stuff so it was a lot of fun and we always carved jack-o'-lanterns and enjoyed uh, making scary things and always enjoyed the Disney holiday uh, uh, Halloween record. I had it on the, in an LP, as a matter of fact. It had all that, Ooh, uh, you know, all the groanings and the ghost things and the creaks and the thunder and lightning and just a lot of fun. So anyway, Halloween was always a blast around our house. And, uh, well, you know, it, it's kind of fun because I just got to do this really cool special uh, for for a guy named Brett Hammond uh, through the Martians Are Here podcast. And he did this just awesome zombie story that you guys should all listen to. You should go over and download it for Halloween. It's a lot of fun. But I wrote a song um, in honor of that show. It's all about zombies being used as farm animals in an Amish community after the apocalypse and it's hilarious so i thought i'd share the song with you guys i think everybody will enjoy it it's kind of a fun halloween tune called bring those zombies down boys enjoy and happy halloween everybody this is rick saying have a great day
Thanks very much for that song. Uh, gets us all ready for that Walking Dead uh, TV series on AMC uh, tonight, uh, Rick. And I loved your Halloween story too. And you know, it's it's funny how much uh, you know. I had a you know a scary kind of experience the first time I watched it too, and meds and you. And it's just it's cool, and and, and, I, and I like that. I wish we'd had a few more people send stuff in for that. Uh, but anyway, thanks very much, you guys. Always great to hear from both of you. And uh, now we're going to play the other part of Vartok's John Carpenter music uh, uh, segment, uh, his, his answer follow-up to uh, his earlier uh, clip and poser, as he would say. And I'll come back and wrap up today's podcast. So here's uh, Vartok, and I'll be right back.
Hi everyone, this is Vartok again with the answer to the question posed earlier. To what 1951 movie did John Carpenter remake and release in 1982? And what was it about the movie that made it a failure at the time? Well, the answer is The Thing, a horror movie about a very bad shape-shifting alien in Antarctica picking off the scientists one by one. The movie cost $15 million to make, but flopped, ostensibly because it came out about the same time as E.T., the extraterrestrial, who was a friendly alien. The movie featured high production values, great special effects, a score by the famous Italian composer Ennio Morricone, and perhaps was too gruesome for the time. Let's hear John talk about the thing. Hi, this is John Carpenter, and welcome to the 70mm screening of my movie, The Thing. The original film, uh, The Thing from Another World, was made in 1951, and remains one of my favorite movies. It's a great uh, science fiction horror film. It was uh, at least co-directed by Howard Hawks, one of my favorite directors. And it's uh, got some of the greatest scare moments, early scare moments in science fiction movies of the 50s. And uh, I was offered the thing to remake the thing at Universal in 1981. And I thought long and hard about it because I didn't want to compete with uh, the old film, which was uh, greatly loved by myself and many fans. So I went back to the novella upon which the both films are based. Who Goes There by Donald Stewart, otherwise known as John Campbell. And it's a vastly different story. So I thought, well, if we just ignore the first movie and ignore sort of the, uh, the science fiction tropes of the time and, and it's the dated nature of it, uh, and go for a, a more literal reading of the novella, I thought we'd be in better shape. In terms of scripting the film, I hired a, a young writer named Bill Lancaster. He had done uh, The Bad News Bear several years earlier. I was very impressed with him. And he had a great take on the material, and it came up with some ideas uh, for some great sequences. But as originally written, the monster was not delineated in the movie. There's this cliche about it's always better never to show the face of the devil, never show the monster, always suggest it. And uh, I was struggling with that until uh, I came on uh, Rob Bottin into the special effects. And he suggested the kind of secret of the movie, which was uh, the thing can look like anything. It doesn't have to look like one creature. It could look like every life form it's imitated throughout the universe because it's been on travels, on its travels for a long, long time. In 1986, John composed the music to his movie, Big Trouble in Little China, once again with Kurt Russell in a starring role. By my count, Kurt starred in a total of four Carpenter feature films, and one made-for-TV movie called Elvis, which revived Kurt's acting career. Big Trouble, a big-budget film, unfortunately turned out to be a big flop in the box office, and John returned to making lower-budget films. In 1987, John released Prince of Darkness, the music for which he once again collaborated with Alan Howarth.
In the background, you've been listening to the end title track to They Live, which was released in 1988. Two years earlier, John had released Starman with Jeff Bridges as an alien who comes to Earth to study humans and co-starring the very cute Karen Allen as the woman whose dead husband the alien takes the appearance of. The wonderful music to Starman was actually composed by Jack Nitzsche, so I'm not playing it now, but maybe later after this podcast. Back to They Live. A drifter discovers a pair of sunglasses that allows him to observe that aliens, not so nice as the one in Starman, have taken over the Earth. When the sunglasses are off, everyone looks human. When the glasses are on, yuck, and spooky. In the 1990s, John released Memoirs of an Invisible Man in 92 with Chevy Chase and Daryl Hannah. Village of the Damned in 1995 was Christopher Reeves, Kirstie Allen, and Mark Hamill. And Escape from L.A. in 96 with a great cast starring Kurt Russell, Steve Buscemi, Peter Fonda, and Bruce Campbell. Unfortunately, even Snake Plissken couldn't rescue this decade, and John had both critical and box office failures. Rounding out the 90s was Vampires with James Wood. Now, you're listening to Ghost of Mars, released in 2001, and the last John Carpenter film released to date. This film is a pretty good sci-fi action movie taking place on Mars, and starring Natasha Henstridge, who needs acting skills anyway, and Jason Statham. Notable for this film is that John collaborated with the heavy metal band Anthrax on the music, and it rocks. After a nine-year hiatus, John is about to release his next feature film called The Ward, which is to be released on November 24th in just a few weeks' time. When I listen to John's music, I form certain opinions about it. His tracks tend to be relatively simple compositions, but they are powerful with strong drum beats pounding out a pulse. He also uses electric guitars and synthesizers to counter the beat, To me, his strong but slow drum beats and low bass guitar chords are representative of the evil characters in his movies, slowly moving toward you, ever coming, ever pressing, and with the counter melody representing the hapless humans trying recklessly to stay out of the way. I find that the music, though, really works well in his movies. Well, that's it for this music and sci-fi segment, and now back to you, Rico.
Oh, awesome stuff, Vartok. Thanks so much. Such a great detail. And I, I know he's done Carpenter, John Carpenter's done so much great music for movies and, and it's it's really cool. And uh, I especially liked uh, the Ghost of Mars uh, movie and music, I, I think, besides the, of course, stuff he's done for other films and Halloween and everything. So thanks so much for sending that in. I uh, really appreciate it. I know that takes a lot of time to do and you're a busy guy just like everyone is these days. So thanks again. Uh, I guess that's about all I needed to say today. I, I hope everyone, again, is having a great Halloween or, or had a great Halloween. It's, uh, it's surprising it's going to be November tomorrow. And uh, and that's just uh, another, um, you know, getting closer and closer to the end of the year and other holidays. But uh, once again, uh, thanks, everyone, for downloading Treks in Sci-Fi. I appreciate it greatly. Always do. And you guys are, are fantastic. And uh Always love hearing from you. Please join the forum if you haven't yet. Uh, we'd love to have you over there. Just go to treksandsci-fi.com, click on the forum link, and sign up. Uh, make sure, I wanted to mention too, if you've ever signed up for the forum or going to, uh, a lot of times you have to confirm that with an email you'll get back. So check that. Sometimes those end up in spam folders and that. So I thought I would mention that. I don't usually say anything, but uh just thought i would say uh, a lot of times again if you sign up for the forum that's the way it works and donations are always welcome itunes uh recommendations and 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 reviews on there or whatever you call it not really recommendations reviews on itunes just search for treks in sci-fi on itunes under podcasts and then put up a review that would be great to have love love to have those too so everyone uh take care next week again will be a guest podcast uh right now subject in person to be named <laughs> and after that just check the main website and i'll have the updated schedule probably which will take us through november and maybe early december about the trek episodes and other special uh, topics got a few new ideas of a couple things to be doing uh in the next few weeks that i just got to kind of work out and decide which week for what so that schedule will be going up soon probably this week of what's coming up on treks in sci-fi thanks again everyone uh you have a great week i'll talk to you again well for me at least probably in about two weeks take care bye-bye it's close to midnight something evil's lurking in the Right between the eyes